Good morning. So do you have your Bibles? I hope that you do, or your widgets. Uh, we like to be in the Word of God because we believe it is our spirit. We know it is our spiritual food by which we grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we want to be in the Bible as much as we can, not just uh, in opening it up, but actually physically reading it where we can, hearing it. I think all the senses involved in the Word of God are what's going to change our lives. And the, the, word of, the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to change the people of God. So I read this this morning. Tozer wrote this. The Holy Scriptures tell us what we could never learn any other way. They tell us what we are, who we are, how we got here, why we are here, and what are we, what are we required to do while, while we remain here, unquote. So right now in Acts, these last 10 chapters, the series is Going and Doing, the Making of a Testimony. So we're in Acts chapter 25 this morning. 25 and 26 actually go together. They, so we're going to a continuing story. We're doing one chapter a week. So I hope that you're making time to read at least one chapter a week. I hope you're reading every morning and get, or sometime during the day you're opening the Word of God to read it. So thank you, Pastor Paul, for his message last week, which is called The Stewardship of God's Grace. I was invited to teach at Calvary Chapel Northwest, which is in Bellingham. I was doing a wedding up in Arlington, and so the weekend uh, we got away, my wife and I, Charlotte, and we stayed with Tom and Pam Blumberg, who pastored Calvary Chapel Northwest. Fantastic time. We don't get to do that very often, so we stayed there Friday night, Saturday night, and I taught there on Sunday. And the message that I brought to them was out of, sec- really, the book of 2 Timothy, and I call it the strength of grace. So when I got back, Paul and I hadn't talked at all, but I got back, I watched his message, and I thought, this is a companion message to what Paul talked about in the stewardship of God's grace. So next week, would you read 2 Timothy during the week and come prepared? Because I'm gonna, I wanna, this message is, I believe, for us also. The strength of grace. I think you'll be tremendously encouraged. I think you'll be strengthened by this whole idea. Paul told Timothy, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Are you strong in that grace? So next week we'll look at that. But this morning, we're continuing on. I want to sort of run us up a little bit in the studies that we've done so far. Going and doing the making of a testimony. This morning we're going to look at the testimony that answers accusations. But let me, I would like to just review if I might The studies so far. The first three of these 10 chapters are really on the going and the doing. So the first, in Acts 19, we started with a personal assessment. Three questions. Am I loving Jesus fervently? Am I living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And am I following Jesus today? Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Am I following Jesus today? Am I fighting the good fight of faith Today, because that's what we need to stay focused on. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Secondly, Acts chapter 20, be real, be ready. Three things. There's a race that will soon be over. There's a race that will soon be over. We're running that race. There's a ministry that is like no other. We have been given a race to run and a ministry to fulfill. So each one of us uniquely gifted by God has been given a commission Not only to preach the gospel, to fulfill the ministry he's given to us. And it's extraordinary how unique each one of us are, and therefore how the ministries God's given to us are unique. And then thirdly, God and his grace is all sufficient. Can you hear an amen? God and his grace is all sufficient. So we run the race. We have a ministry that's like no other. His grace is all sufficient. 
The third one of the first three studies, going and doing, dare to do the will of God. Other options will be there for you. Know that. Whenever you go to do the will of God, there's going to be other options. Dare to say no to them. Other options. I'm going to do the will of God. Secondly, other opinions, others' opinions will challenge you. My wife Charlotte says, opinions are like noses. Everyone has them. And that is true. So others' opinions will challenge you. Dare to disagree when it's not the will of God for you. Finally, opposition will oppose you. We're going to look a little bit about that this morning. Dare to plan for it. Now, we don't have that scripture in our, up over, our, over our, uh, our doorway. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's not one of our favorite boxes. But Jesus said, blessed are you. You're blessed when they revile and persecute you because they did the same thing to the prophet. You're in good company. It's going to happen. This morning as we look at these accusations. So that was the first three, going and doing. Now we're looking at the testimony, the making of a testimony. We began in Acts 22 with the testimony of a revelation. Here it is. God revealed himself to me. He revealed himself to you. He didn't have to, but he did. And how thankful we are for that. That he in Christ revealed himself to us personally. Saul of Tarsus, Jesus appeared to him on that road to Damascus, had an encounter with the living God, the living Christ. And there he was changed radically. I like to say he was turned upside down, inside out, right side up, and then God began to use Paul the apostle. Then we looked in chapter, well, actually in that chapter, the revelation, it's why I speak up for Jesus. It's why I stop fighting Jesus. And it's why I'll serve Jesus until he calls me home. Can you hear an amen? That's the revelation. That's what happened. Chapter 23, the testimony of a good conscience. This is throughout the scriptures. So number one, the conscience is a gift from a good God. A good conscience is a guide for our good. And a good conscience must be governed by a good God. So the making of a testimony, much of what happens in our lives has to do with how we are, man, uh, we are managing, if you will, our conscience. And then our last study in chapter 24, the testimony of a gospel confession. And there's only one testimony of a gospel confession, and it's the one who died for us on the cross. His name is Jesus. So the one who is the way is Jesus, him I worship. The one who is the truth is Jesus, him I believe in. The making of a testimony. The one who is the life is Jesus, him I I live for. There is only one confession. It's the confession from our mouths of Jesus. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. We are witnessing of our lives are to shine with the life and love of Jesus. So Acts 25 and 26 go together. In, in chapter 25, just to outline it, verses 1 through 12 is Paul's defense testimony before Festus. Then in chapter 25, verses 13 through 22, Festus now consults with King Agrippa concerning Paul the Apostle. And then in verse 23 of chapter 25, we'll get this morning, but then taking us through Acts 26, we have Paul's defense testimony for King Agrippa. So that's what we have before us now in these two chapters. Paul the Apostle was continually having to answer a whole range of false accusations. Only because he was a passionate, zealous Jewish follower of Jesus Christ, 
he boldly proclaimed the power of God unto salvation through the gospel. That's why he was being attacked as he was. Someone said that false accusations are useless. Well, they may be useless, but let me tell you, many times they're ruthless. Can I hear an amen? Paul, that's what they were for him. They were ruthless. His accusers followed him around relentlessly seeking to put an, put an end to his life and thereby silence his testimony. They eventually succeeded in killing him only to find out that no physical death can silence the testimony of Jesus Christ, the life of Christ, given, a life given to him. You cannot silence that testimony. Can you hear an amen? That's what happens when we live all out for Jesus. A testimony is being forged. It will outlive us. What are you doing with your life to outlive you? I hope that you're living full on and full out for Jesus Christ because when you do, it will outlive you, your life. It's the same thing they did to Jesus. They followed him around. They killed him hoping to silence him. <laughs> it didn't happen. Can you hear an amen? Because it couldn't happen. Can you hear an amen? And we praise his name. There's no way you can silence the name of Jesus. We sang that song this morning. It's the name of Jesus. We come to him in prayer in the name of Jesus. Because in his name is all authority, all power, all victory, and praise God all of eternal life is in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so as I was preparing, a hymn came to mind. I tried to lead us in singing it in our prayer meeting. This is a hard one to play on guitar. <laughs> it's a mighty fortress is our God. Some of you know this. Some of you, I used to sing this when I was in the Baptist church many years ago. And I hope that if you don't know these hymns, that you'll get to know them because you'll love them. They are packed with truth. And they say it. Now they use the King, New, the King James Version, so bear with me with that. A, a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, that means a fortification never failing. Our helper, he, Jesus, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And there are a lot of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, that's the devil, does, doth seek to work us woe. He's always seeking to rob, kill, and destroy. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal, powerful being. Did we in our own strength confide or trust in ourselves, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man, capital M, on our side. The man, capital M, of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Can I hear an amen? And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. Go to Revelations verses chapter 1, 2, 16. You'll see one word will fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, the mortal life also, the body they may kill, 
God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. That's the hymn of hymns today, if you, can, if you can get the King James and going. So the testimony that answers accusations. Can we pray as we ask the Holy Spirit to bless the word this morning? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the saints that have gone before us. We look at Paul the Apostle and then the myriads and myriads and myriads, the millions and millions and millions of people who found in you life, who found in you peace, who found in you joy that we get, Lord, to follow after. And that's what we want to do in the making of a testimony. And this morning, Lord, in these answering accusations, and life is hard and there are many that oppose, Lord, your truth, oppose you. And because we're living for you, we experience that opposition. We experience accusations. But Lord, we're entrusting this word this morning that I prepared that you'll break it fresh. Feed us, Lord, we're hungry. Give to us something this morning as you always do from your word because we know we don't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Lord, we also realize that maybe in this room this morning are those that don't know the mighty fortress that you are. They don't know our God. And so Lord Jesus, you said this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So my prayer, our prayer, Lord, not only that you would speak to us as believers, but if there's anyone in this room this morning that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would nudge them along. I pray, Lord, they'd be uncomfortable a little bit as they're wrestling with their heart before you, knowing full well that you know all things, and Lord, that you love them, you died for them, you want them to know you, walk with you, and experience the victories that you give to each and every one of your children in Christ forever and ever. Amen. And so as we're looking at this, uh, the testimony that answers accusations, there's three things that, that I will outline the chapter with. And the first one is this. Answer petitions with petition. In other words, let your praying be your answer. Let your praying be your answer. Notice in verse one. Now in Festus, so Paul now is he's putting his, his testimony defense before Festus. When Festus had come to the province, after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Now Caesarea is a beautiful port city about 75 miles northwest of Jerusalem. If you ever go to, go to Jerusalem or Israel, you gotta see it. We've only been there once, but I'm telling you, it was beautiful. And it was then also. Verse 2, then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul and they petitioned him asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So they're saying, would you bring him up because what we want to do is kill him. In other words, do it sort of underhandedly. They're petitioning now, uh, ask him, would you do this for us? So let me begin here. Both the high priest and the whole assembly of the Jews were petitioning Festus. But the combined petitions of millions of people before the world's most powerful authorities are no match for one believer before the presence of God in prayer. That is the power of prayer. And when we start having to deal with opposition and accusations and difficulties, we had better be praying and let our praying be the answer. In other words, let my talking be my praying. Or let my listening be to God in prayer, not what's being said. In prayer. Hearing God 
is the settling of many, many of the anxieties that come along when these things are happening. So there's no match for appealing to the Supreme Court in all the universe, and that is heaven. To the one who sits on the throne, that is Jesus. To the throne of grace, where we might find mercy and grace to help in times of trouble. Before Daniel was ever thrown into the lion's den, he had a lifelong habit of praying three times a day and every day. And you have to know that when he was thrown into the lion's den, he was praying then too. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. But before they were ever thrown into the fiery furnace, they refused to bow down to any other gods. God was the one that they came to. And you have to know that when they were thrown into the midst of the fiery furnace, they were praying there too. How many of us pray only after we're in the lion's den? How many of us pray only after we've been thrown into the fiery furnace? You see, I want to exhort you, brothers and sisters, as myself, prayer is the one thing the devil would like to knock out of your life. He'd like to get you to stop believing God in prayer, to stop coming to him with your petitions, to stop trusting him that he's going to work these things out. And prayer is essential to build that prayer life. It's not saying even as Paul, he appealed to Caesar and God answered that petition. He gave him favor and freedom and many of the things. But there came that time, that one time, when God said in answering Paul's prayers, yours now is to come home to me. And that's going to happen to each one of us one time. It's a point that the man wants to die and then the judgment. So there's going to come many times when our prayers are our petitions to God are going to grant to us his leading, his understanding, his clarity, his truth, his patience, his strength. But there will come a time when the praying is going to be a reality because we're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day we are going to be in his presence, in his kingdom, and we're going to be going, yeah. And I think it's interesting. It's a fascinating thing, actually. They have these God has these golden bowls in heaven, and they're the pra- they contain the prayers of the saints. So we have a little a bowl that was made that we have in our prayer meetings every Saturday morning. And we fill it up with the prayers that you gave to us uh, beginning this year. And we pray for them every week. I don't know how that all works, but I know that our prayers are filling up these golden bowls in heaven. And they're going to be poured out. And one of them is going to be, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Lord, would you come and put an end to this whole thing? Now, there's something else of great importance that happens when we answer our accu- the accu- accusers prayerfully. We discover that prayer, we discover the grace that frees us to forgive them in prayer. Jesus said, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to them, to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray. You see, prayer makes room in your heart for even your worst enemy. God starts to make a place in your heart for even your worst enemy. And we have to pray. So answer petitions with petition You're praying. Let your praying be your answer. Let your talking be your praying. Let your listening be to God in prayer. Secondly, 
Answer with proofs positive. <laughs> Let your living be your answer. How you're living your life. Let your living do the talking. Let your walk be your talk. The best defense against false accusations is this. Honest deeds set against dishonest words. Do good. Now look at verse 4. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, notice, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of, Jew, of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. This is Paul. But Festus, wanting to do the, do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, notice, I've done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, interesting, Paul says, I do not object to dying. But if there's nothing in these things of which the men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Paul is very aware of how dangerous these calculating men were to kill him. And so he uses Roman right as a citizen to appeal to Caesar to go protected by the government and there plead his testimony. So he says, I appeal to Caesar. He's very astute. He knows what's going on. Once the appeal is made, he would soon be on his way, as we'll be getting in chapter 27 and 28, what I call the fourth missionary journey, Paul's journey to Rome. We'll be getting that. So, the final proof positive is not in what we say. It's in how we live. It's in what we do. That's what answers all the accusations, all the things that come against us. It's what we do. It's how we're living out what we say. So Paul in chapter 24, verse 13, he said to Felix, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. We get here in chapter 7, they couldn't prove it. Uh, verse, excuse me, verse 7, verse 10, I've done no wrong. Verse 11, there's nothing in these things of which they accuse me. Verse 25, Festus himself now says he's committed nothing deserving of death. The final proof is really in what they cannot prove that they'd like to say is wrong about us. Paul says just this one thing, that I'm guilty, that I believe in Jesus. I believe he rose for me. I believe in the resurrection. So it's how I'm living, not only before the unbeliever, but for the belie before the believer. It's how I am conducting myself at church and at home. It's how I'm living in public and private. 
When I'm the real deal with God, then it's going to be known to everyone eventually who I really am. But being the real deal, I'm the same. I'm going to be the same person in private as I am in public. That's character, godly character. Now, that's never perfectly, but there's a growing consistency that reflects the love and the light of God in our lives. That's proof positive. I find it interesting in three cases, Paul in writing, first of all, to Timothy and then to the Corinthians, to, he says to the elder, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. So in church leadership, the elder, the pastor, the overseer must have a good testimony to those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. In other words, know this, it's going to come back to bite you if you're living a secret life. If you're not who you say you are, and when God puts you in that place, that's why Paul said, don't appoint a novice lest being puffed up, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. The devil is very good at knowing our weaknesses, and he goes about to seek, and so if we're not the same, and we're put in the position, it puts us in greater danger of falling because the devil is on our tail. 1 Timothy 4.2, not only to the elders, but he says to Timothy, young Timothy, to be an example. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to who? The believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in impurity. He says, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Timothy, you be an example in what? In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. You be an example. You live out your life. You be the same person in private as you are in public, in church as you are at home, in your workplace as you are at home. And this one is really fantastic. I love it. It's a great picture. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and beginning in verse 1. He says, you be an epistle. Be an epistle. Be a letter that people can read and know exactly who God is. He says this, do we begin to co- again to commend ourselves? Now, he was all, Paul was having to defend himself to the Corinthian church all the time because people are coming in and saying all these accusations against him, all these things. So he's coming in and having to always sort of uh, defend his apostleship. So he says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you? Or letters of commendation from you? Verse 2 of chapter 3. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with the ink, not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. So Paul is ministering to the Corinthians. He's writing a letter, and they begin then to be, reflect that as a letter. You see, if someone were to accuse you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? When people see you living your life in your workplace, at school, at church, Would there be enough evidence to convict you? I believe, knowing you, my family, that there's plenty of evidence. But let me say this. We're up against formidable forces who want to ruin what God has done. Let us hold fast 
to live out what we believe to the best of our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit and to keep on keeping on. Yes, we're not going to be perfect, but God is with us by his Holy Spirit. God is working in us to will and do what pleases him. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his poem. He's writing, oh, I love this. He's writing, our lives are like a poem that God's writing. And this beautiful, this beautiful, if I call it a manifesto, if you will, this beautiful testimony is going to give glory to Jesus Christ because of what God has done. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let our living be our talking. Let our living be our answer. And so you who are leaders know this. You're to be an example. To the, you, you have a good testimony on those who are outside. We who are the young and the old, we're to be examples to the believers because we need to see examples. And we as believers, we, are, we want to be a letter that's written and known by all men. This is who God is. This is how we live. So before we order another how-to book about this, that, or whatever, let us first understand the greatest need in the church and in the world is living books known and read by all men. They give glory to Jesus Christ. They see it written there. We need to be reading them and seeing them all the time. A couple other thoughts, one for, for both men and women as we look at this. Look at verse 13, in this whole area of living out as our answer. Verse 13, after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. Now remember, Festus now is consulting with King Agrippa about this guy Paul. Herod Agrippa and Bernice come to Caesarea. King Agrippa was Rome's king over the Jews. At this time, King Agrippa was a young man of about 30 years old. He was well studied in the Jewish scriptures. He was well acquainted with the Jewish religion. So he's not some foreigner. He knows it very well. Bernice was King Agrippa's sister. Now, there were many rumors, they aren't substantiated anywhere in the historical writings, that Bernice and her brother had an incestuous relationship. So may I say first to you young men, you older men, and you old men, <laughs> flee youthful lusts. Flee them. Now what he's not saying there is when you're youthful, you have lust. He's saying lusts are very powerful, they're very youthful, flee them. Run for your life. Run from your, for your marriage's sake. Run for your children's sake. Run for your grandchildren's sake. Run, men, from youthful lusts. And I would say women too. We had that whole summer session on pornography. It was one of the most powerful things that I've witnessed myself personally and so thankful that there was this opening and vulnerability to the power of pornography, the power of these things that are so out there. We got a beautiful little letter, uh, uh, an email that was forwarded to me by, a, by some parents whose son grew up in this church. He's now not living around. He's, he's going to school. But he watched it online. And then he wrote to his parents and said, thank you for being my parents. He said, I'm thankful for our church that he grew up in. Because he himself, unbeknownst to anyone, was wrestling in this whole area. But it's so not talked about. It's so not addressed. We are addressing it. Can I say, 
Please pray as we're coming, and because we're invading enemy territory here. And we need to invade it. We need to go after it. The whole area of, of depression that we talked about also. These are areas where the devil is seeking to ruin people's lives and ruin how we live. And he's going to, it's so powerful. But God is greater. The truth will triumph. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And those who are coming against these things, if they can have the truth, know the truth, and begin to be walked through it by those who are living the truth, there will be victory after victory after victory. And that's what I'm praying for our church, for you. Many of you out here, you're struggling even as I'm talking with these areas. God wants to set us free. He wants to say, flee those things. Get away from them. What's the answer to them? Flee. Run for your life. Run for your marriage. Run for your children. Run for your grandchildren. Because if they start to take hold of you and they trip you up, they're going to get you down. They're going to tie you up and you're not going to know what to do. Now, the other thing that I want to just share with you really are to you ladies, young ladies and younger ladies. It's recorded of Bernice that she was stunningly beautiful. But we also know from history that she was a very immoral woman. And so do you ladies, young ladies and younger ladies. Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Peter said this, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Not outward at all, merely outward. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Now, sweethearts, we appreciate you taking care of yourself. And we also know that you appreciate us taking care of ourselves. The late, beloved J. Vernon McGee put it this way. If the barn needs painting, paint it, unquote. (laughs) But he says, don't let it be that, merely that. He says, rather, listen, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Proverbs 31, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but she who fears, a woman that fears the Lord, she will be praised. So precious sisters, be sure, spend as much time on the inner beauty as you do on the outward. I'll leave it at that. Third one, answer with patience, patience. In other words, Let your waiting be your answer. Patience. Love is patient. Be waiting. Be patient while you're waiting, knowing this, that Jesus is coming for you as a believer. No matter what may be going on, Jesus will come. So verse 14. Let's read the word. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. Verse 16. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning a charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay... The next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the men, the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought, 
They, they brought no accusation against him, excuse me, of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus whom who had died, but Paul affirmed to be alive. Clear message gospel. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. And again, remember, he's, he's got all the, he knows Jewish religion, all that. Tomorrow he said, you're going to hear him. So here's the thing. I believe this is true for all of us. We are forced many times to learn patience. Someone said, don't pray for patience. <laughs> you don't have to pray for it. You're going to need it. <laughs> you got to need it. And God does work in us wonderfully, this whole idea of patience. Love is patience. And so particularly when we're dealing with things that seem to go ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. Why can't we just be done with this thing? Why can't we put it in the past? And it just seems to sort of lag on. And Paul the apostle is experiencing that. He's done nothing wrong, yet over and over again, here comes the more accusations, more accusations, more accusations. In fact, in these two chapters, eight times accusations, 14 times against him. That's what he was always enduring, were accusations. How do you answer those? I say you answer them with patience, patience. To let your waiting be your answer, because love is patient. Be patient in waiting, because here's the thing, the love of our lives is coming again for us. And so... Not only that he's having to endure, not only that, but then trial after trial after trial. As we read in these two chapters, on and on goes the whole thing. After this and after that. Now and this, now and that. While this and while that. But when this, but when that. For if this, for if that. So this and so that. And it reminds me many times when you're working through relational things and difficulties, it seems like you've got to have one meeting after and nothing seems to get resolved. May I say to you, be patient. Be patient. Answer with patience, patience. And the funny, the comical thing about this, as the authorities didn't know what to do with Paul, because he's got nothing to accuse. And so look at verse 23. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with, with great pomp, and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at, at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. So you get in the picture. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Now that's a dangerous thing to have nothing. To, well, you know, Augustus, well, why is he here? What's the deal? Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa. He's trying to get, what, what are we going to do here? So, af, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. He was, Paul was living a life that exuded character. So was Paul frustrated? He was human. I'm sure he was frustrated. As we do. He's tired of all the maneuvering. Tired of all the political correctness. Tired of the back and forth of it all. Tired of being a political pawn. Tired of waiting. I think as you've said, enough is enough. I mean, can we be done with this? 
James says this. Now, in James, he's writing in context of believers living under oppression and even murder, but without resisting. Just don't, just let, let them do what they're doing. He says this, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. That is so important because Jesus is coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Let me say this. Life is full of seasons. We might go through seasons where it just seems like nothing's right, and we might go through seasons where everything's right, but no, there's going to be seasons, and we just have to be patient like the farmer. There's seasons come and go. We need to keep at it. As Paul told Timothy, you'll get this next week. We must be, the farmer must be, the, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Second Timothy. And so he says, be, and then he says it again. For you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Are you not thankful that we know at some point it's going to be all over? He's coming again. So Paul's response, he said this to the Philippians. I want you to know, brethren, that God would open. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out to the furtherance of the gospel. He looked at his life and everything that was going on that seemed so wrong. He said, God's used it to further the gospel. You see, for Paul, his testimony, he never lost sight of that. He never gave in to it. His testimony was to preach the gospel and be a living testimony. He wrote to the Colossians, meanwhile, praying for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I also am in chains. In his chains. He wrote to Timothy, for which I suffer troubles and evil doers, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not chained. Be patient. Patient. His response to his chains actually encouraged many who were not in chains. He wrote again to the Philippians, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And keep in mind that had Paul not been chained, we don't know, probably some way God, but it was through his imprisonment that he wrote what are called the prison epistles. Four of them, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, all from prison. Now that to me is redeeming the time, if ever I heard of redeeming the time. You see, so many good things come out of what seem like bad things. God caused all things to work together for good. He doesn't say God that all things are good. He says God causes all things to work together to those who are called according to his purpose. Love God. After we're done with this study in Acts, in October, our next study is going to be in the book of Job. Here's the theme. When good people suffer, we have that rampant in our society. The evil that's come upon us, and God, I believe, is lifting his hand. There's a lot of suffering going on. So we want to talk about that, the book of Job. God will not delay a moment longer than is absolutely necessary. Patience, patience. May God help us. Let our waiting be our answer. We need the wisdom of God in all these matters. But when it comes to answering accusations, let your praying be your answer. Let your living be your answer. Let your waiting be your answer. And God will walk us through these things victoriously. As we're preparing for communion, if you men can go do that. I want to close with this passage from Peter that many of you know very well. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. 
And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? You're living. But if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that lies in you. Here it is, with meekness and fear. I want to pray, I want us to bow our heads and pray, but I do want to say for you parents, grandparents, on Wednesday, beginning with our e-groups, there's one we're doing that's called GAP. It's, called, it's, it's for ground roots uh, apologetics for parents. Janelle, Greg, last, week, last Wednesday told us about it. It was fantastic. If you haven't, weren't here and couldn't see it, I go, go online and watch it. And what it's doing is it's equipping parents to give their kids a reason for why we believe what we believe. And they need that so that I'm very excited about it. Char and I are going to be taking that, being at that, going through a book. So be ready to give Our children are up against such odds. We need to equip them. We need to minister to them. Why do we believe what we believe? How can I give a reason to our children? And so... Let's pray. If you believers, particularly in the room, if you would bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray right now. Because the most important thing that we ever would, would be doing when we get together is giving people an opportunity who don't know God yet to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. To know that when you die, if that's you this morning, to know that when you die, God will take you to be with him for all eternity. That through the death of Jesus Christ, God took care of the problem of sin. And the wage of sin is death. The sinner shall surely die. That means separation. Not just physically, but spiritually for all eternity. That's the second death talked about in Revelation. And without Christ, without you choosing Jesus Christ yourself, because God has offered this, but you must choose Jesus. So as we're praying, we know there's a battle that goes on And if it's you this morning, in your heart, God loves you, and that's why the battle's going on. He's not going to let go of you very easily. He wants you to know forgiveness. He wants you to know peace. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to know meaning, why you're here, why you're here, and what he wants in your life, what he has planned for you. So if that's you this morning, we're praying. But you need to make that decision, the most important decision you will ever make, to come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to acknowledge there that you need his forgiveness, to then ask him to forgive you and cleanse you, and then to fill you with his spirit and give you this what's called eternal life. And then in that decision, and as you do these things, you confess him, you acknowledge him, you pray, and you ask that. God will do what he promised he would do. If you call on him, Lord, you will be saved. And then you will leave here a whole new creation. All the things that are past will, of your past will be gone. God gives you a whole new start because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. So as we're praying, I'm going to ask you to do three simple things. The first is to raise up your hand and say, I want to get right with God this morning. 
I know that I'm a sinner. I know something's not right. I have an emptiness. I have a loneliness that no one even knows about. I, I've tried this. I've tried that. But nothing is answering the clamant cry of my heart. And may I say to you, the cry is that God loves you and you need him. He created you to know him. And without him, you will have that emptiness. You'll have that guilt. You won't be able to take care of it. But you're raising your hand and I want to get right with God today. Second, I'm going to ask you to stand up in obeying the gospel by confessing Jesus before men. And as you stand in obedience to the gospel, let me say this. All your excuses, all your fears, all the reasons you've not done this up till now will be vanished as you make that decision and choose him. And then finally, I'm going to ask you to walk up to the table, one of the ones on the side, and there are people there, brothers and sisters in the Lord, part of our family of faith that will pray with you. And they'll go right to that place with God with you where you can receive Christ. So if that's you as we're praying, and with that, if that's you today, we're going to be excited because you get to take communion today with us. So if that's you, again, one more moment. Just slip up your hand. I don't want to miss you. Today is your day where you're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. And we're praying. And so, Lord, as we now enter into this time of communion, you said, we remember your death until you come. And so, Lord, as we close ourselves in in worship, as we receive the two emblems, the bread and the cup, and Lord, as we hold them together as the body of Christ, because this is for the believers, you've given this to your church, as a reminder that we need to continually remember that you died for our sins according to the scriptures, that you were buried and you rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that you ascended into heaven and there you're seated making intercession. We need to remember that and we remember, we remember, we remember. And we thank you. So, we, Lord, we ask that you bless this time now of worship and remembering what you've done. And so as you receive them, if you just hold them and I'll come up and we'll take them together as the body once they're all passed out.